Today we're, today we're going back to Acts number three, chapter three. Um, you might recall last time we talked about Acts, they've just had the speech, 5,000 people have come to Christ in one day, um, no doubt causing them some issues. But uh, the story goes on from there. So we'll start with Acts three. I'm gonna read part of the story and I'll read the second part when we get up to that. So Acts three verses one to 11. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. And a certain man who had been lame from his mother's womb was carried along whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. And Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze upon him and said, Look at us. And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, oh, in the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, walk. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. And with a leap he stood upright and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all of the people saw him walking and praising God. And they were taking note of him as being the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple to beg arms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And while he was clinging to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them at the, so at the so-called portico of Solomon, full of amazement. So Peter and John are going to the temple now. They were quite happy to continue with the rituals of Judaism that didn't conflict with their faith. So they were quite happy to go and pray in the temple. That was fine. They probably didn't go to the hour of sacrifice since they knew that that was no longer needed. But they were quite content to conform to the, the rituals because the persecution hadn't started yet. So they were, quite well they were still welcome in the temple. So they went along and did that. And we, we can often look at our ourselves as we look around our culture, what, what things can I participate in? And the answer is things that don't conflict with our faith. Um, we can probably participate in lots of things, They're not just directly related to religion, to be part of the groups around us. We can participate in sport, we can participate in, I don't know, mother's group. Well, some of us can participate in mother's groups. Um, whatever's going on around us, we can probably participate in, provided it doesn't conflict with the truth we know about Jesus Christ. Um, we don't have to hold ourselves apart from the culture because we're Christians. So they're going to the temple and they come across this crippled man. Now it's important to note, the Bible, Luke makes a big deal of the fact this man had been lame from birth. So he's never walked. Um, he spent his entire life, someone's carried him to the, to the temple to beg arms. Everybody in Jerusalem who goes to the temple knows this guy. They can't get past. They can't get past him. He's there all the time. The reason he's there is because in Judaism, it's good to give alms. It's a, it's a religious thing. <coughs> so, going where religious people are means he's going to get the most bang for the buck of his hours, um, and he's going to get lots of. He's not going to get lots of arms, but he's going to get enough to live on. So everybody knew him. Now, the fact that he's been lame since birth means. 
When Jesus went to the temple, guess who he walked past? This guy. Jesus didn't heal this guy. Jesus moved on past him. So, Jesus didn't feel it was his job to heal everybody. He healed the people God put before him who needed healing. It's actually, I had an interesting discussion with, um, with Richard uh, the other day about healing and Nearly every time Jesus heals, he's asked to be healed. He didn't go around healing people who didn't ask him. The one exception we came up with was the, the demonic in um, on the hill with the pigs. Uh, I decided I was losing that particular argument, so I said, oh no, the de demonic didn't have to come up to them. He could have run. He knew who Jesus was. If he didn't want to be healed, he could have run from Jesus, but he didn't. But, I, you know, that's... But Jesus didn't heal people who didn't ask, whereas in this case... They do something different to Jesus. This guy didn't ask to be healed. He basically asked them for money. But they didn't have any. Not really surprising if 5,000 people have come to Christ a little while ago and you're trying to feed them and look after them and deal with all that. So they didn't have... So he's asking for arms to help have help in his current situation. But God has bigger plans for him than what he knew. So Peter basically says, I don't have anything that you're asking for, but what I do have, I'm going to give to you. And the whole, the key point for this passage for me is that Peter and John offer what they had. They had the spirit, they had the ability to heal. Now, I don't know whether they were walking along and suddenly the spirit said to them, oh, that guy there, you can heal him now. Or whether they'd come to that conclu the conclusion that they could heal somebody when they went to prayer. I don't know, but they obviously knew that when they called on Jesus' name at that time, it was going to happen. But for us, what do we have that we can give to people? So often it's easy to look at people who are in trouble and say, I can't really help them. What would I know? We need to be willing to give what we have. And it was interesting today, I was talking to Dave Jarrett before church, and he, was, he gave a really good example of doing that. They've got a friend who's been affected by the floods. Now they can't fix all these problems. But they went along and they helped clean up. They helped him sort out the mess. Apparently it's a pretty big mess. And that's an example of giving what we have. Sometimes it's time. Sometimes it's just our willingness to listen to somebody. Other times it's out of the blessings God's already given us. Sometimes it's money or things that we've been given that we can share with other people. And maybe for you, your faith is enough that one day you'll reach out to someone who's crippled and say, rise up and walk. I'm not sure my faith is that great. I'm not sure if I heard a silent voice saying, reach out and say, you're healed, get up and walk, that I'd actually be able to do that. Maybe. Depends how loud the voice was. Um, whether it came as God's big scary voice or his little quiet voice. Quiet voice I'd probably ignore. So, But I don't know where you stand with all that. But sometimes God shows us people who need help. Maybe it's just you're aware of someone who's missed church regularly or you you run into someone at the coffee shop and they just suddenly start talking to you. I mean, it's strange. That doesn't happen to me, but it's happened to Richard a lot. He goes swimming. He's going to swim and people want to talk about God to him. I don't know what he does or what sign he's got over his head, but people always say, and so he makes time to talk to them. He goes walking with them after they, but they basically come to him and he's not chasing them. 
He's just available for God's voice. So that's the sort of thing we're talking about. God will bring people to you. In Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. Back to glasses again. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God created you with all your gifts and blessings and all your curses and disabilities for good works. They are there for a reason. Sometimes what we give to people is out of our pain, out of, the, out of our failings. Because we can advise people, say, no, you really don't want to do that. I did that once. This is what happened. Maybe you don't want to go there. Maybe it's, or maybe it's from our successes. I don't know, but I, we're not a mistake. Your gifts are not a mistake. You're not inadequate for the things God has prepared for you. You're not necessarily inadequate for the things God puts in front of you. Our brain will tell us we are. Oh, homework, what can I... I can't help with homework. I was such a bad student. Uh, someone else can... Sometimes bad students make the best teachers because they understand the difficulties people have. People who are good students, they go, and what is your problem with that? And it's, a, it's, it's easy to say, to convey the impression that they're just stupid. And we don't want to do that because the people aren't stupid. So don't run yourself down. And to be fair, sometimes it's appropriate to say, maybe I can't help you, but maybe I'll talk with someone else who might be able to better help. Sometimes it's just advice. But other times we're just chicken. You know, someone wants to talk about the gospel. I'll actually, I've got a good friend called Adam Wilkinson. He'll talk to you about the gospel because I just, you know, my story's not very interesting. Um, and that's just an excuse for us. So it's difficult to find the difference between an excuse and sometimes someone wants to talk about something that's really out of our league, then it's better to pass it on. But we need to be willing to offer what we can out of ourselves, out of who God has made us, and be aware of those works that he wants us to do. So the other interesting thing about this miracle is it's very visible. This man has never walked. It's not a slow healing. And suddenly he can walk. Luke's description is almost as though you can see his ankles and his legs growing strong enough to hold him up now. And obviously he wasn't going to get up by himself because he wouldn't know how. So Peter reaches down and pulls him up. It's not like he's got a choice in this. <laughs> um, so he pulls him up. So sometimes when we're helping people, we've got to pull them out of where they are and help them move forward. Gently, of course. Um, but it's a very detailed miracle. And everybody knows this guy, so they suddenly see him dancing around and say, hang on, he's been at the gate for 20 years or however long it was. I know him. He can't walk. And what's going on here? So they all start to gather around. It's interesting, the passage says, there was wonder and amazement. This very visible miracle didn't convert anybody. It wasn't enough that they saw this miracle happen. So they're all coming around to find out what's going on. So we get to the next part of the passage, which I'll read now. The glasses. Glasses. Uh-oh. But 
when Peter saw this, he replied to the people, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why do you gaze at us as if by our own power or piety we had made him walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, the one whom you delivered up and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you but put to death the Prince of Life and the one whom God raised up from the dead, a fact to which we are witness. And on, this, on the basis of faith in his name, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you see and know. Through him has, give, through him has given him this perfect help in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I know that you acted in ignorance just as your rulers did also. But the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all his prophets, that his Christ should suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and return that your sins may be wiped away in order that the times of refreshing may come from his presence in the Lord, and that he may send Jesus the Christ appointed for you, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things, and which God spoke of by the mouth of his holy prophets, prophets from ancient times. Moses said, the Lord God shall raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren to him you shall give heed in everything he says to you. And it shall be that every soul that does not heed that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. And likewise, all the prophets who have spoken of from Samuel and his successors onwards also announced these days. It is you who are the sons of the prophets and the covenant which God made with your father, saying to Abraham, and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. For you first God raised up this his servant and sent him to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. So Peter sees that the miracles happen, all these people are coming around, and he sees that they're going to assume that him and John were the ones that caused this, that they were miracle workers, um, that they were holy men. So the first thing he does in his speech says, no, 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 it's not us. Don't expect, don't think that we were holy and this happened. He's very clear that this miracle has happened because of Jesus. And we also need to be clear when we help people that it's not from us that this is coming. It's not because we're super nice people and super capable of helping people. It's because we are loving them and going out of our way because God said, well, I've gone out of my way for you. You need to reflect that to other people. We're involved in other people's lives because, well, I'm certainly involved in other people's lives because God told me to be. Personally, I'd rather not be involved in other people's lives, but that's not the way God wants us to live. Because he, well, he moved into my life. And so we need to move. And it's, it does sound funny. It's easy to be involved in the lives of people who are easy and who we get along with. But some of the people God wants us to help are really awkward to be with. Our life will be much more chaotic, less organised if we get involved with them. And it's easy to say, oh, actually, that's the sort of person Adam gets involved in, not me. Really, he's just so much better at it. I mean, you just have to listen to some of their stories and he's definitely involved with a whole bunch of people I couldn't deal with. Um, fortunately, they didn't. that's probably why they don't come across my path. God knows what I can deal with and what I can't. Um, but yeah, our own convenience isn't always an excuse to not get involved. 
So we need to be clear that it's God's working through us that helps people. It's not our great advice or our great blessing. It's not because I earn a ton of money that I can give it away. It's because God allowed me to be in a position where I earn this extra money that I don't need that I can give it away. I only have what I have because God gave it to me. I'm not any smarter or any cleverer than anybody. In fact, the people I work with are a whole bunch smarter than me. I can't understand why I'm actually there. But that's the way it is. So we need to be clear why we're helping people and that it's God that works in them. Peter's also very clear on their sin. Often in Western society, we don't want to offend people and say, oh, actually, God's really unhappy with you when you do that. We mince our words, we try and we hint at it maybe. We don't always want to say very specifically because we don't want to offend them. Peter doesn't suffer from that. You guys crucified the Holy One of God. After Pilate, who's a Gentile, who we all hate, had said, let's let him go. You said, no, 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 let's kill him. That's what you said. And God's aware that you did that. But he's also very clear that God was willing to forgive them. That it wasn't a sin they couldn't come back from. That God was willing to meet them even though they'd rejected him. And we need to be clear when we're talking about people's sin that God is willing to forgive them that sin just as he forgave us ours. We need to be willing to say what we struggled with, what God had to do to bring us into his fold, what we had to leave behind, what we did that offended God because we aren't perfect. And years ago I found, I discovered when I was working in a coffee shop, uh, one of those trendy things of the 80s, um, it was really easy for Christians and for me to say, to give the impression that everyone needs God, but you need him a whole lot more than I do because my life was pretty good. I didn't take drugs, I didn't drink, I didn't do a whole bunch of other stuff that these guys were all doing. And it was very difficult and I had to point out to them that my sins, I think God rates higher in terms of Narcissists, which are arrogance, pride, things like that. They're the, they're the things that God rates up there as evil because they don't have necessarily outward signs. They're much more socially acceptable. I've over the years pointed out to a number of drug addict friends of mine that I know what it's like to be addicted, but not to drugs. My habits, the way I relate to books, the way I relate to science fiction books, were the same as theirs. If I started reading a book, I couldn't stop. If I had a book with me at work, it was very tempting to get it out and just read a chapter in between doing real work. Because addiction is when you can't control your behaviour. Whether it's because it's addicted to drugs and you've got a chemical uh, addiction, or whether it's because you're addicted to people's praise or people looking at you in a certain way. We lose the ability to say no to things because of our addictions. I'm not saying I'm not trying to say that the addiction to books is the same as an addiction to heroin. I didn't have the um, chemical problem that you get with those sort of addictions, but in principle they're the same. I, I could lose control of my actions in order to read more. Not that it accomplished anything. It didn't make me feel better after a while. But um, yeah. So I forgot where I was. Never mind. So we need to be clear that we're not any better than the people we're talking to. We're not any better than the people we help. It doesn't make us better. It just means we've experienced God's forgiveness and his blessing and we're trying to share that with them and we'd like to walk with them on that road. 
So we need to think, what do we have to give? Who has God made us? How can I put myself around people who might need what I've got to give? How can I best use my contacts? How can I best change my life to make myself more available to certain programs? I mean, I hear about the, the homework program. I'd really like to get involved in that. I've always worked with youth almost my entire life since I was 18, since I was one. Um, I'd like to get involved with that, but my current job doesn't allow me to do that uh, because I, don't, I can't possibly get home before 4.30 if public transport is very gracious to me. If it's not gracious, it's sort of 5.30, 6 o'clock. So getting involved in a program like that is something that I can't be part of. But maybe there's other ways I can get involved. And so I need to look for those. I tried the coach program. I've signed up for that because and I'm not really good at making people. People don't come up out of the street and talk to me. And if they did, I'd probably ignore them. But but I don't, I don't convey the impression that people can just come up and talk to me. I don't know what it is. And I'm not really worried about it. Um, but I need to find a way to connect with people that need help. The coach program for me was an opportunity to do that. I'm reasonably good at seeing what's wrong and how to fix issues for things. So when they gave us a problem in coaching about cooking, the answer was really obvious. You get a slow cooker and some menus because this, this client particularly wanted us to learn how to cook. Something you can't fail at. It's actually pretty impossible to fail with a slow cooker and a packet mix. Because it's important when people are learning something that they experience success. Unfortunately, I did the training. Two and a half, three years later, I'm still waiting for us. They've tried to match me up with a couple of clients and they've all just disappeared after we got halfway through the process. Very frustrating. Maybe God doesn't want me involved in that, but that's okay. So we keep looking for that. So look for ways you can use your gifts and connect with people you can, you can minister to. I'd suggest that if you just sit there and wait for it to happen, it probably won't, unless you're a bit like Richard and maybe the Wilkos, who it just sort of happens to. Um, but most of us aren't like that. <laughs> so we've got to go out and look. And it'll often be through some of our sufferings that we'll get the most benefit for ministering to people, because we understand where they're coming from. The best counsellor I ever met was uh, after I had my stroke at 38, I was having all sorts of difficulty dealing with the fact that I was old now. Only old people have strokes, don't they? Anyway, so his, his claim to, someone asked him, what makes you a good counsellor? He said, 30 years of alcohol and drug addiction. And his point of view was, I understand what you're going through when you're like this. So his advice had weight because it worked. It had worked for him. He, he talked about people who were depressed. He says, my advice to people who are depressed, be depressed. Pull the blankets over your head and stay in bed. See, because pretty soon you'll get bored. But if you get, if you force yourself to get up, you'll be depressed all day. But if you, if you're in the position where you can, just pull the blankets over your head, you'll get over it. <laughs> so that's what. He, and you know, he needed to look after himself, so he'd go out and buy himself a bunch of flowers. You seem a bit odd to me. I'm sure I, a bunch of flowers tells me that I love myself. But for him, he said, you've got to take care of yourself. What is it that makes you feel okay? It's okay to look after yourself. And he had. Because he knew what it was like to be depressed, he knew what it was like to feel the call of the alcohol or the drugs. He knew the stuff that worked for him. So sometimes out of your suffering, that's where the most help you'll get from, you'll be able to give. 
and maybe it'll be out of your wisdom if you're older. Maybe it'll be a reflection on a long life of successes, failures, or endurance. Where that'll come, that'll be how we how we minister, and it'll change as we as we get older. The abilities we have, our life experience, it'll grow and change. So don't wait until you think you're better or you're um, more able to help people. If God's shown them to you, you're probably in a position to be able to help them now. Don't wait until you're like Richard or until you're like Keith until you're able to help people. God made you who you are for a reason and we can offer that. It's also important, a friend of mine used to think and say a lot, oh, I don't need to say anything about the gospel because they can see from my life, they can see from the good things I do that I'm a Christian and that's enough. This passage really clearly says it isn't enough. Just because you can heal somebody isn't enough to bring them to Christ. It's enough to make people really impressed that they should be nice to you because they might need healing sometimes, I guess. You, we need to have words with our actions. We can be really nice people, we can be generous, we can be giving, but unless we're willing to say, I'm giving because Christ gave to me, and you need Christ, then our, they're just nice actions. And there's lots of nice people in the world. I don't know about you, but I look around and think there's a lot of people who are nicer in the world than I am. There's a lot of really nice people in the world who aren't Christians. When we're nice, our words are necessary in order to bring people to Christ. Our actions are not actually enough. And we need to be clear that we're bringing glory to God. It's not, if people try and say, oh, John, you did this and it's great, and it's like, yes, but really God's the one who helped you. God's the one who got in there. God's the one who keeps me motivated to keep coming to help you. The glory goes to God, not to me. Because we're God's workmanship. He made us the way we are. We might not like it. We might not be happy with it. We might wish we were something else. And then, you know, we'd all like to be so, like someone else. Because usually when we do that, it's because we want only the good points. We don't, we don't accept the bad points that come with all that. We just want the good bits. Um, so that's, that's where I went with that passage. Uh, thank you very much. I don't know if there's a song for the it closes up or not. No, we just, you want to just pray okay. because of the boys that are using their Jack of all trades. <laughs> okay. Lord, thank you that you loved us enough to send your son. Thank you that for some reason we don't understand you chose each one of us to be part of your family. I pray that you'll give us opportunities to be generous to others in our talents, in our blessings. Lead us to people who we can help. Give us the courage to speak your words to them. Just pray you'll be with us in the coming week. Be with those people who are sick. Help them to find comfort in you. In your name, Lord. Amen.